God, I ask for our full attention to be locked on what you have to say to us this morning. And God, I humbly ask that your spirit would speak through me in this moment, Lord, to communicate your truth. Lord, not just to communicate your truth, but to do it in a way that's receivable. Lord, that can actually be heard and applied. And Lord, there is a, a level of um, tact and, and understanding, God, that your spirit needs to work through me to be able to communicate this rightly. And so, God, I just pray that we would be hearing your words this morning, that we would be receiving from God, your holy word that we hold before us. This is such a precious thing to hold the word of God in our hands. And so, Lord, we just give it our full attention. I pray that every set of eyes would be locked on you, seeking you this morning. And God, that so many things in our lives that can distract us when we come to your word to study, God, that we would see that we need to seek first your kingdom. God, and all the things in that text that says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you, Lord. We recognize that's all the needs, not the wants. Lord, add to us all the things that we need, not the things that we necessarily want in our life. Give us, Lord, what you have for us as we just seek first your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that you would work powerfully in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to go into Colossians 2, Jesus told parables. We know this as we study the word. Um, Jesus would tell stories that had a spiritual significance to them. And um, it was for people who had spiritual understanding to understand and those who did not to kind of go right by and just hear a story. They had very specific meaning and parables should never be taken lightly. Um, one of the parables that Jesus told, um, he told to a specific audience. And the text explains this in Luke chapter 18. This will kind of set us up um, for what we're going to be looking at this morning in Colossians chapter 2. Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. I want to read this to you and use this as just a reminder as we go into our study. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He said, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a powerful parable. Um, there are many things that we can say in prayer here today, there are many things that we can pray and talk to God about, but the heart within us is in one of two places. It's in a place of self-righteousness or humble submission. And that position of heart is so vital to how we come before the Lord. It's so vital to God not only hearing and answering, but being able to work through us because you realize that in prayer, God synchronizes our hearts to his. In prayer, God synchronizes our will to his. That's the goal of prayer is not only fellowship with God, but to be in sync with what he's doing. And so if that's what we come to the Lord with when we pray, it's so vital that we come with a heart that's submitted to what God's doing and not seeking its own, not pretending to be righteous. That prayer of the Pharisee, we look at it and we're like, that's ridiculous. What a ridiculous prayer to pray. 
But I would wager to say that many of us have prayed prayers that would rival it or have come to the Lord with an attitude or a heart that would rival the Pharisee's heart. Because so often I know in my life, I get caught up with thinking that I'm doing things so much better than other people are doing them. It's pride. It's self-righteousness. Humility is a choice and it's recognition and proper response to truth. Humility is recognition and a proper response to truth. Church, God gave us life when we were dead. Amen? He canceled the charges against us and nailed them to the cross through Christ. Amen? Okay, we can all agree to that. This is all from Colossians, by the way. Jesus also paraded the powers of the universe behind him, declaring his complete victory over them through the cross. Amen? Okay, that's great. We love that. Then where in the world are we coming from when we act like we've been doing it so much better than everyone else? It's all about Jesus. It's all in Christ. All the good that's ever happened to us and happened in our lives and through us has come because of Jesus. None of us can parade around in self-righteousness. None of us led the powers of the universe through the streets saying, look at what I did. Only Jesus did that. We read that in our text last week. There's no room for self-righteousness. There's no room for false piety. And what Paul's going to show us today is not only is there no room for them, but when we allow those things to actually exist in our lives, we are going backwards. We're going backwards in our walk. He's going to show us that to attempt to validate ourselves through practices of self-righteousness and encouraging others to do the same that we're doing, it's not progress, but, and it's not Christ-centered maturity. It's the opposite it's a digression. It's going back to the old way, of li- old way of life. The scary part of this is we think about so often as Christians, the old way of life being non-religious, if you will. But what you don't realize is that you were very religious. It was just a false doctrine. Before you knew Christ, you were religious. You just worship something else because everyone is created worshiping, not to worship. You were created worshiping something. And that's why people go, well, I just kind of was in this place where I just really wasn't doing anything. No, you were worshiping self there. You were created in the state of worshiping. And so if you're not worshiping God, you are immediately idolatrous. That's why Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no in between. And so if we get caught in this place of going back to um, this, this self-righteousness that we get caught up in, this lack of humility, we are in idolatry. We are worshiping idolatrously. And the crazy thing is, Jesus was calling out in that story a Pharisee, someone who was considered to be religious, someone who was considered to be a righteous man by society. But he was, in fact, more sinful than the person who looked sinful but came with a broken heart because God cares about the heart. That's what he's after. The actions will follow but the heart is where it begins. The only way forward is humble submission to Christ, abiding in him and he in us. And so with that in mind, let's look at our text here in Colossians and verse 16. Let's read verses 16 and 17. And then we're going to continue on, take this bit by bit. So picking up in verse 16 from last time, Paul continues on and tells the church this. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what's to come, or what was to come. The substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. We know that both the Gnostics and Jews had very strong beliefs about the observance of both dietary laws and the observation of days. 
That would be feasts, festivals, weekly Sabbaths. But Paul, after all we've studied thus far, calls the church to apply it. After all we've studied thus far, he says, okay, all that we've talked about about Jesus, and if you've been here with us for the majority of this, going on and on about how Christ is the substance, Christ is the center, Jesus is the head, he's the creator from the very beginning. With all of that in mind, he says, apply these things. He's saying to the people, have nothing to do with people who identify religion with laws about what you may or may not eat or drink. Don't identify with them. You've been rescued from all this tyranny of legal rules. Why do you want to enslave yourself all over again? Why do you want to go back to rule keeping that earns you salvation, to law keeping that earns you salvation? Freedom is so much better than legalism, amen? It's so much better. It's what Jesus came for, to fulfill the law. Jesus dealt with dietary restrictions in Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 14. He said this, summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came up and told him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. You can never say that Jesus wasn't controversial for his time. He was very controversial. You can say that he was never pointlessly controversial. Church, we must know the difference. We are not to be pointlessly controversial, just trying to stir things up to get people going. You know, we all know those things that we can say that will get somebody. Parents are well-practiced at this, right? I know what I need to say to my kid. I'm going to go, you know, just drive them crazy. We know these little things that we can say. And a lot of times we know we can say to a certain group of people to really get a response from them. But here's the thing. Jesus never pointlessly did that, but he did do it when it had a point. And he nails these guys down on this. He says, listen. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of it. We're going to get into that a little bit more in a minute. But before we get there, we're not restricted dietarily. We're not restricted when it comes to what we eat is what Paul's reaffirming that Jesus taught here in Colossians chapter 2. And also something that God taught Peter in Acts chapter 10. You probably remember that. The big sheet that was lowered down from heaven that was both a, a, a picture of the freedom that he could have in eating, but also that God was going to work in Gentiles' lives. God just took this example and went way big with it. And if you read Acts chapter 10, you know exactly what we're talking about. The keeping of feasts and Sabbaths, not required. But the problem with this is a lot of times when you talk about legalism and law, people are like, right, so I can live any way I want to. Is that true? Why not? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 15, again, Jesus continues. All we have to do is keep reading the text, right? So you bring in another passage, right? You're looking at Matthew 15. I just read to you a few, few verses out of it. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 15 that I just read to you. The blind can't lead the blind in verse 14. If the blind guide the blind, both are going to fall into the pit. And so then Peter comes to him in Matthew 15, 15, going through verse 20. And he said, explain this parable to us. You know, we need to be willing to come to God and say, please explain. Even if he's like, you should know this, but he loves us. He's going to teach us. He wants us to know. He says, do you still lack understanding? Verse 16. 
So Jesus said this, don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? That's self-explanatory. I'm not going to give you any more lesson on that. (laughs) But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart and this defiles a person. It's not just about restricting what we say. It's that what you're saying is coming from a source. And that's what Jesus is talking about. For the heart, from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. And Jesus isn't talking about cleanliness. He's talking about ceremonial washing that the Pharisees said, if you don't do this, you are unclean. You are a sinner. It was a ceremony that they would go through to exalt themselves and show that they were holier than everybody else. Okay. And there's another passage in the gospels where they get into this and they go, your disciples are eating with unwashed hands. And Jesus is like, hold up. It's in heart. This is a heart issue. When we are talking about what God really cares about, when we're talking about what God is trying to get to in our lives, he doesn't want you to look like a better Christian. He wants you to be one. And being a believer and a follower of Christ means that you have to be humbly submitted to Jesus and letting him work this out in you because you can't put enough makeup on that to make it look good. Sorry, you just can't. All the religiosity in the world that you try and smear on yourself, that I try and smear on myself, it doesn't work. You can't put enough on to look good enough to be pleasing to God. But in Christ, you are not just pleasing to God. He sees you as he sees Jesus himself. And that is amazing grace. You guys, we talked about this last week with baptism and circumcision. We talked about how these are issues of the heart and how Paul was getting on about how this isn't something that saves you. This is something that shows that you've been saved. It's something that reveals what's happened within the heart. He gives us a list of things here that we shouldn't even let our hearts ponder, let alone do. And so it's not that Jesus is saying, you know, don't worry about keeping all these laws and all these different things. What Jesus is saying is this, you need to be more concerned. It doesn't remove us from being morally responsible. We are morally responsible. If he says that these types of things shouldn't be coming out of our mouth, we we shouldn't be thinking them. We shouldn't be doing them. And so it doesn't remove us or free us up to do whatever we want. Rather, it calls us to be in Christ and Christ in us. So if anyone tries to argue that everything in the Old Testament has been done away with so they can do whatever they want now, just walk them through Matthew 15. That's all you have to do. But you guys, this is important because a lot of times people will look at this and say, see, Jesus said that none of these things matter. No, he's talking about religiosity that saves. What he does say matters is that your heart reveals the goodness and the character of God because we are image bearers. We are bearers of the image of God. And so the goodness and the morality and the character that God has, he wants to come out of our lives, not false piety. And when it comes to the religious practice, the feasts, the foods, the things that they thought would save them, he says they're a shadow. And he says this in verse 17, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. You could say it this way. These rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Jesus is the reality. 
He is the actual thing that fulfills all of this. And he goes, stop looking around to all of these other factors in the world that you think can make you look the way you should look. Jesus is the answer. If we are in Christ and Christ in us, then we fulfilled all of these things. It's all about relationship now in Christ and true religion is fellowship with Jesus. True religion is fellowship with Jesus. Therefore, if our religion is limited to what we do here as a congregation on Sundays, we have a serious problem. If true religion is fellowship with Christ, then this can't fulfill that. It can be a part of it, but it can't fulfill it. You see, the fulfillment of it is when you fellowship with Jesus all week long, throughout your life, throughout your week. That is true religion. It happens everywhere. And Paul's going to get to that more as we get into chapter three, especially the end of chapter three of Colossians. He continues in verse 18. He says this, let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. Addressing the heresies of, of either Gnostics or a false teaching um, that had similar beliefs, Paul continues on and he says this, ascetic practices, which is best understood as like a pious self-denial. In other words, I'm denying myself, but I'm doing it very publicly so you can see that I'm suffering. Right? We don't publicly suffer, do we? You know, like it's funny, uh, just I'll pick on guys for a second because I am one, but it, it's interesting how, you know, we will... <laughs> Uh, I saw a post once that said, I'm glad that guys get to experience the common cold so that they can know what giving birth feels like. Because sometimes, you know, it's just like, you know, you're, you get a sniffle, you're just like, this is the end, you know, and like, and you, you just kind of walk around, you moan a lot because you want that sympathy. Don't act like you don't do it. We all, we all do it. But like, this is just it. It's over for me. You know, it's the worst thing in the world. Like, dude, seriously, you sneeze twice. Like, it's not that big of a deal. But you guys, a lot of times we go about and... <laughs> Nobody wants to openly admit this. Nobody wants to be like, yep, I'm pious, I'm self-righteous. But we all struggle with this. We all struggle with having an air about us that, that shows people that we're doing really good. We put on our best face, and it's not that you should put on your worst face. It's that you shouldn't be trying to be pretentious about something that you're not. One of the things that drives me the most insane about, about so, many, so many ministry leaders is that they absolutely refuse to show people that they actually struggle that they actually have a struggle in their life, that they're hurting or going through things. They're having a hard time communicating to people that they're human. Do you realize how important it is for you to see me as a human being just like you that actually has struggles and has to walk through things that I need community as well? Do you realize that I need to be in a church just as much as you do? That I need this fellowship and I need this accountability? It's important. It's important for us. See, what the Gnostics were teaching in this time was that all matter was evil. They would teach that all matter was evil, which meant that our bodies are evil. And so you had one of two options, live in complete immorality because it doesn't matter what you do. Is that correct? Please say no. <laughs> Please say no. Absolutely not. That was one option. Um, and that's referenced here and again. Or... 
as is referenced in verse 16 and verse 18 of this passage, you could live in rigid self-denial, giving those who did so a self-righteous or a false pious attitude. In other words, you live in this self-denial and you make sure that everybody knows it. You know, well, I don't do that. Why? Because I'm holy, right? Because I'm so much better. I'm just on a different level than you are. Someday, maybe you'll get there. I'll, I'll drop a rope to you. It's garbage. It's terrible. You guys, there's no room for that. If you want to look like Jesus, humility is the answer. If you want to be Christ-like, if you want to be a servant, if you want to minister to people, the answer is humility because Jesus was meek. Jesus himself was humble. Read Philippians 2. And if that's the example that he set, nobody should stand on a false pretense of self-righteousness and pretend like they're better than anyone else. There are people who should step forward to lead, but they lead because that's a calling on their life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the only thing that allows people to lead. Not because they're better, because God's called them and qualified them to do it. And they make it visible. They make it visible that God's the one who's done that in their lives. If we are struggling in any way, if I am struggling in any way to present myself as so much better, repentance is needed. Repentance is needed. Beware of this type of thinking, church. It's not Christ to pretend like you're better than anybody else or to lord it over them. Paul doesn't stop there. He says this, they not only delight in these things, they delight in the worship of angels, he says, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Christians know first and foremost that we worship and our worship is kept for Christ. That our worship is for God himself. We don't worship created things. We worship God. That's where our worship is directed. And the angels throughout scripture confirm this so that we don't try to give worship to them. Angels throughout scripture as they make appearances always direct worship to God. Always. And the Gnostics prided themselves in different religions of this time. The heresy that appears to be trying to infiltrate the church at this time. They're, they're, they're seeing special visions. They see secret things which weren't open to the eyes of normal men and women. I'm going to show you what, what, what's been revealed to me because you're not quite there. But I, I have this, you know, I have the red line, right? God calls me on the red line all the time. You don't have a red line. You just have a normal phone. You know, kids are like, what's a red line? have your parents explain it to you sometime. It's a phone that was actually on the wall that had a cord attached. So Gnostics prided themselves on special visions of secret things. Normal people weren't privy to this. One commentator said this so well. There is always a danger when people begin to think that they have attained a height of holiness, which enables them to see what other people considered to be inferior cannot see. And the danger is that people will so often see not what God sends them, but what they want to see. I'm not saying God can't give people vision. We always hold those things up to scripture and go, is this something that the Bible teaches? And in the, in the vein of special messages from other sources, uh, from angels or visions that people had, I want to remind you of Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4, and we can consider this together. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became to for your information. The angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Who are you going for your information? Who are you going to, to be inspired? Is it Jesus? Because that's the one that we go to his word, his Holy spirit. Jesus himself said that he was sending the spirit to us. John chapter 16 called him the comforter. Remember that it's not the blanket on your bed. He's talking about the Holy spirit. I'm sending the comforter. Oh, I hope it's down. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the Holy spirit that he's sending to indwell us. And he explains that the ministry of the Holy Spirit will look like this. He says, he will explain to you things about me. He will confirm the words that I've spoken. He will tell you the things that I've told you. If the Holy Spirit is giving a word, it's always going to agree with scripture. Amen? Always. How do I know? You should know your Bible. You should know your Bible. Use scripture in context as a guide when it comes to visions and dreams. It allows us to distinguish between a word from the Lord and people who are merely proclaiming what they wish to see. Be careful with these things. Jesus warned us about this. He said, many are going to come and they're going to deceive. They're going to try and pull you away. They're going to try and lead you astray. Here's my goal for you guys, that everything that you hear will get washed through scripture. Everything that you hear would go through the word of God. If it holds up, bonus. That's great. But we need to be cautious about these things because there are many voices of deception in our world and God's word will call them out. Take it to the word. Let it be a light to your feet. Let it lead you on that path of knowing where God's calling you to be. And I certainly don't want to discount the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to discount the gifts of the Spirit. They are alive. They are active today. Sorry, folks, I'm not a cessationalist. But what I do want to say is this. They will always agree with the word. And if they don't, they got to go. They got to go if they don't agree with the word of God. And so he continues on in verse 19. He says this, we read it, but we'll read again. He speaking of the ones who condemn and are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. We must be those who hold on to the head. If you want to know what he's talking about, Colossians 1:18 behind, just like flip one page over or less than that in your Bible. He's talking about how Jesus is the head of the body. He's building off of what he's already talked about what he's already taught. The illustration makes perfect sense. And we should get this. And kids will remember this. I'll get this quoted back to me from the youth group and the young adults forever probably. No head, dead. That's it. No head, you're dead. It's as simple as that. We are not like chickens. You know, we're not going to go cruising around for a while. By the way, they don't have much of a life. Their time is running out. But here, here's, the, here's the point. No head, you're dead. And, and, and here's the point attached to the head who is Jesus, you will have growth and you will be filled with his fullness, which is the fullness of the Godhead dwelling, dwelling bodily in Jesus, as we already talked about in Colossians. But it's, it's, it's drawing us to this thing. Listen, if what you're doing is not attached to Jesus, it's dead. It's dead. You have to hold on to the head. You have to be attached to Christ. If you want to grow, Jesus is the answer. Fellowship in him is the answer. How many of us really want to grow in our, in our, in our walk? Cool. Half the room. No, it's, I, uh, <clears throat> it, it's okay. I'm not a big hand raiser either, but 
I hope that we all do. I hope that we all really want to grow in our walk with the Lord. Jesus is the answer. Religiosity is not. And let me tell you this. If you are full of Christ and you are full of the Spirit and you are fellowshipping with him, religion will happen. Religion will happen, but it'll be pure, undefiled religion like what James talks about. It's going to look like taking care of people who need taking care of. It's going to look like the things that we're like, well, we need to be doing this. Yeah, get with Jesus, be filled with him, and that will just start coming out of the church. You know, it's, we talked about program last week as a, as a church about how so many church are, churches are over-programmed and they're focused on the program rather than actually being in Christ, here's what I'm trusting is going to happen in our church and transform, is that as we spend time in Christ and we meet in our community groups and spend time in his word and with Jesus, and as we meet as guys and as gals and spend time with Jesus and as youth and spend time with Jesus, you know what's going to happen? Religion. Good religion, not bad. Not, so, not, not false piety. Religion will flow out of that, meaning that our practices will start, you can't contain it. When people are excited about Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, do you know how hard it is to stop them? That's all I'm trying to do is get you guys on fire. If I can light you guys on fire, I'll, be, that's the, I'll achieve my goal. <laughs> you know, only in a church can you say something that people be like, amen, oh yeah, <laughs> pour it on. Holy Spirit's my gasoline. You know, like it's uh, that... It's the only place you can say stuff like that. I love churchisms. They're fun. Because you say it in another place. You know, you're meeting with a bunch of stockbrokers. Uh, if I could just light you all on fire, my, my um, goal will be achieved here this afternoon. Be like, all right, see ya. <laughs> this guy's going to crazy arsonist or something. Jesus is the answer, you guys. It's not self-righteousness. It's not conjuring up a fake spirituality. Okay, verses 20 through 23. Let's finish this chapter. This is great. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They're human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. I'm sorry, can we read that last part really quick again? How much value? None. None. Again, I want to highlight, he is not doing away with morality or image bearing. What he's doing away with is the practices that make us look better than we are. Just trying to be people who do things for lip service, do things to earn our salvation, doing things because we just know it's the right thing to do. Why would we go back to anything like regulations, restrictions, self-made religion, false humility, well, he kind of calls it out. He says they do have the reputation of wisdom. We care a lot about our reputation, don't we? It's funny. You ask someone who's, you know, especially an A-type personality, you know, you're like, do you care about your reputation? Pfft, no. Well, then why do you look so good on Instagram? Why do you look so good on social media? Why do you, why do you look so good? Of course we care about reputation. Of course we struggle with people and the way they perceive us. We all do to some extent. You know, it's funny because on, on Valentine's Day, you guys might have noticed, it's the day now in this generation where everyone posts a picture of them and their, their spouse, and they look so pretty, 
you know, and if it's older people, like it's like an older picture, like, look at us, we were hot once, you know, but like, if you, <laughs> if you, if you look at these things, lots of times it's just the day to post a really, and there's nothing wrong with posting pictures of yourself, okay? I'm not, that's not my point. My point is this, when my son takes a picture of my wife and I, at the end of the week, <laughs> they're laughing because they know what picture this is. My wife and I look like we were in rehab. It was horrifying. It was the end of the week. We're in sweats and old t-shirts, didn't care about the hair, sitting on the couch, like exhausted. And he goes, hey guys, and we both went. <laughs> at the same moment, right? And for a split second, I'm looking at this picture on my phone on Valentine's Day going, that's the one I wanna post. <laughs> but I wanna post it for laughs. And do you know what stopped me? I can't let people see me like this. We all look like that. You know we all look like that on certain days. Don't take my picture where I'll kill you if you post. You've heard your wife mumble that to you. You walk in when she's just, you know, not ready for the day and, and you want to run out, <laughs> like post it real quick. But you know the penalty is death. But the whole point of this is you understand that we all struggle with how people see us. Reputation is a thing. When it comes to our spiritual selves, we can laugh about our physical lives and it only gets worse. I know people are like, you're still young. I'm at that age where everyone who's older than me thinks I'm young and everyone who's younger than me thinks I'm ancient, you know, and we're in the middle, right? We talked about this. BJ and I talked about this. We're right in the middle. You know, we don't get a break on either side, but here's the thing. He's talking about how people view us as believers, as, as people, as Christians. And we shouldn't be trying to show people a false view by, by putting on a plastic face, by being hypocritical. We don't come here to wear masks. We come here to be encouraged to leave the mask off. Church, we need to leave the mask off. The world doesn't need to see you all dolled up. The world needs to see you saved by the grace of God and nothing else. They need to see that you are saved by Jesus and that that's even when you are dead or look like you're dead in trespasses and sin. And, and what's funny is, you know, I, I grew up in the generation where, you know, and, and many of you remember this or a part of this, where you put on your Sunday best. Why? Because you're not going to church looking like that. You know, God will not be proud of you if you look terrible. It's like, you know what? Let's come like tax collectors. I'm not saying go out and sin a bunch. What I'm saying is let's come with the heart of that tax collector and go, you know what? Jesus is going to have mercy on me because of his goodness. And so I'm going to get myself as low as I possibly can and ask him for forgiveness because I recognize that there's nothing that I can do to make myself right in his eyes. The only reason that I'm going to step into the, the glory of heaven is because of what he did. It's not going to be because of anything that I'm doing. And so in that life, when we come to that place, what, what, we, what we forget sometimes, church, is that if I'm in that position of humility, he is going to bless my life and allow me to shine because people will then see him in me. Then I'm going to start producing fruit, good works, the things that should be coming out of the church, not because I put on a mask, but because I drop to the floor and ask God to use me. when we attempt to look the part of being spiritual rather than allowing Jesus to work 
work it in from the inside out, we're returning to a former life that died with Christ. And how messed up is that? That's the perception that Paul gives. Don't go back to what you were doing. Did we just talked about this? He nailed your debt to the cross. Don't go back to it and try and relive it. Don't go back and try and keep this up. Don't go back to former death rather than life in Christ. It's so backwards. It's absurd to even try and justify it. The Colossians have to see through the rules and regulations which are being offered to them. And these rules are a magnet to people who want to try and earn their own salvation. Rules and regulations feed our flesh because we don't. This sense that we have a part in saving ourselves. We don't. We absolutely so much effort needs to be made uh, and, and you have to falsely present yourself as humble to impress your, fr- your friends. Paul says that these rules are of human origin. They encourage pride. They're powerless. They're going to deliver hunger and hallucination, not salvation. Salvation comes through relationship with Jesus. No effort can compensate. No program can generate. No entity can impersonate what we have in fellowship with Jesus. Amen. Nothing can replace that. I want to remind you of this as we close. First Peter chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have, you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We were all absolutely, unfixably dead and lost. I mean, lost and dead. And we talked about this last week. When we talk about being dead, you realize that a dead person has no ability to fix their problem. And he loved you then, and he brought you back then, and he has a plan for you now, and he is filling you with the spirit now. And if you have breath in your life, if you are still here and you are coherent, he's got something for you. He's got a calling on you. He's got a job for you to do. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to get moving? Lay off religiosity. Fellowship with Jesus. Give yourself to his word. Give yourself to prayer. Be in fellowship just like this. Religion will happen naturally. When's the last time you walked into an orchard and heard a tree grunting? You want to produce fruit? Attached to the vine. Fruit happens. It's going to come out of your life. Just take every opportunity he gives you and ask him to make you aware. Let's pray together. Lord, you have given us so much in Christ. And I just thank you, God, that we have your word to remind us of these things. And Lord, I know that that I have fallen to this so many times in my past where I have gotten caught up. Jesus, in trying to add to or trying to be Lord, just in my flesh, the one who's seen as being right. Bring us back to where we started. Remind us, Lord, that we were dead. Fill us with your joy and and your, your peace, Lord, because we recognize that in you, Jesus, we are alive right now. We are alive because you have given us life.
And so, Lord, I just ask that we would find ourselves in a place of rejoicing. Lord, if there is sin that needs to be confessed here this morning, just convict. Not because we should feel condemned. You told us in you, Jesus, we are, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Lord, what, what we find in confession and in repentance is renewal. You're waiting for us to do it so you can forgive us and pick us up and dust us off and get us going. And so, Lord, as we worship you, Lord, we just ask that this would be a time of renewal, of encouragement. We want to bear fruit. Let's keep our heads bowed. Let's just, just let the Lord speak to us for a moment, and then we'll go to a time of worship.